Hi, my name is Yasmin Terehi, and this is Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. Today's episode is how to remove obstacles and reprogram your mind for confidence and success. We'll be featuring our guest, Marissa Peer, the creator of the multi-award-winning Rapid Transformational Therapy, international best-selling author, motivational speaker, personal development expert, and leading celebrity therapist. Marissa is the best-selling author of several books, including I Am Enough, Mark Your Mirror and Change Your Life, and Ultimate Confidence, The Secrets to Feeling Great About Yourself Every Day, one that I've also read. She's helped thousands of people overcome a variety of issues, and she's motivated to train others to do the same with her courses. Marissa also started the radical hashtag I am enough movement, which we'll talk about in the show. So thank you so much for joining us today, Marissa. It's a pleasure to have you. Well, it's a pleasure to be here and thank you for inviting me. Of course. Uh, So Marissa, you're the leading global hypnotherapist. Can you tell our audience what hypnotherapy means and how it works? Well, hypnotherapy is just, I believe, the fastest way to change because we all want to change and we believe that change is difficult. And and what hypnotherapy does, it bypasses the conscious mind. So let's imagine you're going to go on stage and do a TED talk. That's your dream. But as it gets closer, oh, God, I'm so nervous. I'm so scared. And you're consciously worried about it. And what we try to do is we try to logic that away. I'm going to practice and rehearse and ask people. But all fears stem from the subconscious. And what hypnosis would do, go back and understand why you have that fear, because there is no fear of public speaking, but there's certainly a fear of being rejected. And so hypnosis would remove that fear, and it wouldn't just cure the fear of public speaking, it would cure all your fears, fear of being dumped, fear of not being good enough. And so the difference between hypnotherapy and conventional therapy is we are dealing with the subconscious mind, which is always switched on and is always on record. And many of our fears are subconscious. I want love, but I'm so scared of being dumped. I I want to be slim, but I seem to eat cakes all the time because subconsciously they make me feel loved and secure. And so hypnotherapy is dealing with the subconscious mind, which, which really controls you and not the conscious mind, which is really at the whim of the subconscious mind. And so it's faster, it's easier, and also it's permanent. When you get rid of subconscious fears, they never come back. Wow. And I find that, you know, for people that are running these programs over and over again, oftentimes from childhood, there's these reoccurring themes that uh, probably come up uh, time and time again with the work that you do. I'm curious if you could share some topics that come up time and time again. What do you see are some popular themes from the people that you've done work with over the years? Well, the the most common issues people come in with, I lack confidence. I don't, I don't feel good about myself. I want love, but I can't find it. I want success, but I'm too scared to pursue it. I want to be healthy, but I've got very unhealthy habits. But what I find lies underneath all the presenting issues is something else. When we're born on the planet, we have very simple needs. I need to feel safe. I need to feel loved. I need to feel I matter. And that's really it. And what happens is when a child's needs aren't met, the need to feel loved, the need to feel significant is not met, the child forms a belief very early on because before the age of five, we live in feeling. There's no logic. It's all feeling. My mom doesn't love me. must be my fault. My dad's not here. I guess 
he doesn't love me. And so when people have these primal needs that are unmet, they go into the world of an interesting belief. Someone's going to have to meet this need. Oh, look, there's this great person. Can I give you the power, the job of meeting my need to feel worth something? Sure. But then if you give it to someone else, they can also remove it. And so a lot of what we do is locating these unmet needs and fixing what I call unfinished business. And when you fix them, it's so radical the effect it has. We've had people leave abusive relationships, skyrocket their career, sort out all their money blocks, their wealth blocks, their love blocks, just by taking a look at their unmet needs and seeing, well, that was relevant when I was five, but it isn't now and really letting it go. And Marissa, does it take time to really understand what's underneath those core beliefs? Um, or can you figure it out usually in a couple sessions or even one session? Yeah. Well, that's another great question because when I was training to be a therapist, I never forget the day my very eminent teacher said, you know, the mind is immensely complicated and it takes a lifetime to understand the workings of the human mind in a second lifetime put it into practice, I thought, well, that, that can't be. I mean, that's just insane. Why would the, we get this brilliant mind that would take our whole life to understand? And just as we get to 90, we go, oh, I understand it now, but I don't have a second life. And to put it into practice, I thought, that can't be true. And I love, I've always studied human behavior. And I began to see with all my clients, who, of course, are my very best teachers. I had amazing teachers, but my clients taught me everything. And then I began to understand you need to know three things about your mind. And they're very simple. The first is your mind does what it thinks you want it to do based entirely on what you tell it. Uh, I don't want to fail. I couldn't cope with getting dumped. If one more person shouts at me, I'm just going to shut myself away. This commute is killing me. Oh, I've had another baby now. I would die of stress. Now, you've given your mind a direct instruction. You didn't know that. Uh, I don't like my mom's husband looking in that weird way. I, I need to stop and look at my body. And now I've given my mind an instruction, make my body unattractive. Give me a contact dermatitis or obesity. These aren't logical, but at some level, we make a decision. The mind is like a genie in the bottle, and your wish is its command. When you say, oh, die if I have another difficult client, if one more person rips out my heart and that's it, I'm finished, it would kill me if I you know, didn't get noticed, if I didn't get this promotion. Now we've told our mind what we don't want, and our mind has no choice but to act on our beliefs. So if you haven't got anything in your life that you want, like love or health or wealth, you've somehow told your mind, I don't want that. You've got a lot of things in your life that you don't want, like procrastination and self-sabotage, then your mind thinks, but you do want that. So you have to unravel that, but it's very simple. The second thing about the mind, and it's so easy, is that it responds only to two things, the pictures you make in your head and the words you say to yourself. So you go, I'm terrified of flying. I just imagine I'm in a flying coffin hurtling through the air and I'm going to die. You give yourself a very different reaction. Oh, I love being on a plane. I've got five hours to read, watch a movie, just chill. And it is a fact that we respond to the pictures and words we use. It's also a fact that when you get to change the pictures and words, it changes your life. And the last thing, which is so mind-blowing, is that we are hardwired to go back to what is familiar and to resist what is unfair because that's how we survived in primitive times. We didn't leave our walled city or the fort because we were safe with familiar. 
And all these hundreds of years later, we still resist what is unfamiliar. Because while it's a fact that we like what's familiar, here's another fact. You can make anything you like familiar. I mean, if you put a lens in your eye, that's really unfamiliar. Do it every day. Just becomes familiar. So you can make healthy eating, attracting the most wonderful, loving, lasting relationship, even acquiring wealth. You have to make those familiar. So that's all you need to know about the mind to have it work for you rather than have you work for it. Wow, that's very powerful. And this work really transformed my life when I put it into practice. I actually, I think for most of us, we have a lot of negative programming because I think we're just conditioned at an early age to have, I mean, it's just this collective fear. Um, and so I remember uh, taking a piece of paper and just thinking through all the thoughts that I had in my head today in one day that was negative. Um, and then I had to reprogram each one of them into something positive uh, through hypnosis, through a lot of other m modalities. But um, yeah, I think most of us are not even aware that we have such negative thoughts throughout the day. It's it's like awareness is is the first piece, but then the transformational piece of hypnosis is the second piece. So thank you for for sharing that. Um, Marissa, how does RTT, uh, the transformational therapy, how does it actually work? Can you walk us through a session um, on a topic that's popular, maybe an example? So RTT is a formula. You know, Einstein always said, simplify, simplify. And I began to see a lot of therapists. And most therapists are wonderful people who want to help. But for some people, they make therapy very complicated. They speak in therapy, speak about the neurons and the cycle. And, and, and clients just don't understand. So I wanted to make it really simple really accessible and really fast. And I began to teach a formula. And so what I teach all the people, we have now 7,000 people all over the world doing what I do, and many of them doing it every bit as good as me, some of them probably even better, is the first thing we do is we use an intake form. And the intake form is very good at identifying what's going on here. So many clients come in and say, yeah, you know, this is my problem. I, I just can't find love or I only attract guys that let me down. I seem to like the bad boys. And really, we're always looking for what I call what lies underneath. That's not your problem. Your problem is you feel unlovable. And if you feel unlovable, you'll attract someone who's completely unavailable and then believe if I can make someone unavailable love me, I've cracked it. Or maybe they're saying, you know, I, I like I find critical men really attractive and they don't understand this repetition thing that when they were a kid, their dad was distant and critical. And what they're doing is trying to, fin to work on unfinished business. Let me attract a critical man and turn him into the most lovely guy who's all over me. Now I've created my whole childhood and I've changed the ending. So the first thing we do is we look at what lies underneath. We, we look at the presenting problem. We're really looking at, oh, what's underneath this? It's almost always I'm not enough. I'm different, so I can't connect, or what I want isn't available. Because with all of our clients, bar none, they always have one of those three problems. They may have all of them. Whatever clients come in with, it's only those three things. I'm not enough. I'm not enough, so I'm an addict. I need more food, more alcohol, more gambling, more shopping, more sex, more screen time, because I'm not enough. And so we always fix the I'm not enoughness along with the, whatever the addiction is. I want something, it's not available. I'm depressed and I want to be, I've got the depressed gene. I want love, but my dad never saw me, so I'm not lovable. I want health, but I come from a family of 
people who are diabetic or obese, so that's not available. And making them see it is is actually easy. And the third one is, well, I'm different, so I can't connect. And that is the bane of people's lives. And in fact, it's our greatest fear. But if you have that fear of being different, the very fact you have that fear means you're the same. So a therapist will look at really what's going on, and then they become a detective. They start to look at your past to work out, you know, what is this all about? I'll give you an example. I worked with someone who was a chronic overeater, compulsive eater, weighed 400 pounds and just could never leave, never not leave food on his plate and felt compelled to eat. And we started to look at his past. He said, you know, I was a premature baby. And my mom still tells the story of they brought me home and they had to feed me every hour, weigh me every two hours. My mom would cry hysterically whenever I brought up the milk. Oh, my God, he's going to die. My dad would get students and give him more food, give him more food. So you've got a very stressed mother and father trying to force food into this poor baby. is already picking up because they were feeling, oh, my mom is so upset when I don't eat. And then he began to gain weight and they began to go, oh, you're such a good baby. Oh, my God, he's. He's gaining weight, joy, and they were happy. So his little baby mind acquired a very interesting belief. Not eating upsets people, and eating makes everyone happy. And if I don't eat, I'll die. And if I eat a lot, I'll live. So that was what we uncover. Now we've got to go from being a dentist to being a dentist and start to extract that by interpreting why this event in the childhood, several events had left this person with a chronic binging behavior and interrupt the belief, look, of course that made sense when you were a baby. It made sense when you were two and five and seven, but now you're not two, you're 35 and you're probably going to die from eating too much. You will never die from not eating, which he knew logically, but you have to do this emotionally. So you found the behavior that caused you found the beliefs that caused the behavior. You've extracted those beliefs very successfully. And now you become a coder and you code in a brand new belief system that's always recorded individually for the client. They take it home, they play it for 21 days, and they report life-changing results. I mean, I'm still after 33 years astonished when I see people saying, wow, do you know, it's amazing. I just don't have that problem. It's all gone. I mean, I, I had someone in my class with narcolepsy, which is very unusual. She kept falling asleep all the time. And she came up on stage. And I just asked her for her back. She said, well, it's so funny you mention it. My mum, when I was born, would always tell me this way. Your brother was the devil. I nearly died. He was awake all night. It nearly killed me. When I had you, I'd have died if I had another kid awake all night. And even then, she realized she needed to sleep. And then the mother would say to her friend, she's such a good girl. She's always sleeping. She's so good. I've got an angel and a devil. She's a good sleeper. And even though that sounds insane, how could that cause narcolepsy? It absolutely did because of her belief, I make my mom happy. I make people happy when I sleep. Within a day, she just stopped being narcoleptic. And her medication was costing her insurance company, amazingly, $18,000 a month. And she was terrified that if they took that away from her, what would she do? And now she doesn't need it. Wow. That's incredible. Wow. Marissa, you briefly touched on the I am enough or I am not enough. Uh, and you have a movement, the hashtag I am enough movement. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to talk about that. So 
initially I would see clients who'd come in and say, you know, I'm not enough because I don't have money. I'm not enough because, I, I, you know, I live in a shared apartment. I haven't got a car. I can't afford to eat healthy and go to the gym. And I'm not enough. But when I'm slim or married or fit or healthy or successful, I'll be enough. But then I began to work with, I was very lucky, I was voted best therapist in Britain, and that opened so many doors. Suddenly I'm on a plane working with a billionaire living on an amazing yacht in Miami or, or in Sydney Harbour, and they had the same problems. They had everything in the world, beauty, wealth, adulation, but they still felt not enough. And I, I was working with a lot of movie stars who were so destructive, and I realized they all had this same limited. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not lovable enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not interesting. I'm not attractive enough. And therefore I need more. And I've worked with thousands of addicts, thousands of bingers, thousands of uh, gamblers, alcoholics, drug addicts. They all have the same belief, but I'm not enough. And I found that extracting that was so revolutionary. So I created my I'm Not Enough movement. I began to teach it in schools, give away little bracelets, recommend people write it on their mirror. I wrote my book, I'm Not Enough. I created my website. So my book, I Am Enough. I created my website, I'm Enough. And the strength of I'm Enough is really its simplicity because it's so honest. It's so true. No baby goes, oh, I'm not enough. I'm not wearing a Dior baby girl. I'm not enough because I haven't got hair or teeth and I've got these triple knees and these milk spots. No little cat that you just rescue that's got matted fur and a wonky ear says, well, I deserve less love than the other one in the litter. You know, I, I recently took in eight totally abandoned kittens and I opened the cage, the runt of the litter ran out, attached herself to my leg because she knew that her life depended on me liking her. And I loved that, that she knew she was enough. She was the tiniest, but she'd, she took power from all the others. She would always take the food first because she had the thing, I'm enough and I deserve all this love. And there were others in there that were absolutely terrified and cowering. But she was such a lesson to me that when you know you're enough, you, you let the whole world know you're enough and you give the whole world permission to see your enoughness. So we all have to start our day going, I'm enough. I matter. I'm significant. And if you could, would just say that every day, the impact is profound. And I know that because I have schools all over the world saying, we've been doing that. The kids have got their own I'm enough little placard on their desk. We have artwork. And we found that bullying has just almost disappeared. The bullies know they're enough, so they don't bully. And the kids that work hard know they're enough, and so they don't they don't get bullied. And so that's been just such an immense joy to me that I can affect the future of many children by getting I'm enough into schools. Wow, that's really powerful. I also have taken a, a lipstick and written on my mirror, I am enough. And it's just a beautiful, <laughs> it's a beautiful thing to wake up to every morning. It's a uh, great, it's actually like a subconscious reminder too, even if I'm not directly staring at it, I know it's there. So really. yeah. <laughs> uh, Marissa, can all types of issues be healed? Is there anything that maybe cannot be healed through RTT that you've seen? The only thing we don't work with, we don't work with psychosis because people with psychosis find it very hard when you're looking at the past to not understand. They think it's the present. I don't work with narcissists very much because they have a belief that there's nothing wrong with them. Everyone else is at fault. 
Uh, but we work with depression. We work with suicidal depression. We work with bipolar. There's very little we don't work with apart from deep uh, psych psychosis. We wouldn't work with that because it's just not fair to the person. But other than that, pretty much everything. I mean, I started off, of course, dealing with emotional issues. People would come in and go, wow. I've got these chronic migraines I've had them years, and that's not an emotional issue, you'd think, although actually it is. And I worked with a girl who was having 40 injections in her head a month because these migraines were so bad. But then she said, you know, my dad wants me to be a barrister like him. In fact, he's told me all my life, one day you're going to take over the family law firm. I put you through private school. I've only got one child. It's all on you. And she didn't want to, and she never knew how to tell him. But the minute she started to get these headaches, he began to go, oh, no, there's no way you can take over the firm. I need to find a different um, different something to do now because you couldn't even be a waitress. And so the headaches were like, there you go. See, you're the genie. I'm the wish. You said, I don't want to be a lawyer. And now you've got these headaches. I got you out of it. And so I began to work on all kinds of physical issues, headaches, irritable bowel, asthma, eczema, dermatitis, you name it, indigestion, so many physical things. And it shouldn't be surprising because most doctors in ER will tell you that 70% of clients turning up at ER or in England, what we call A&E, have real physical, real stomach ache, real weeping sores, real headaches, real tinnitus, real ulcers. And they're real, but they're not caused by the body. They're caused by the mind saying, so when you say my job is killing me, oh my God, this killing me, or the death of me, your mind says, okay, you can't go to this place called job that's killing you clearly because my job is to keep you alive. So why don't I just give you a lovely ulcer, massive panic attacks, tremendous allergies. And now you can't go to that place called job that's killing you. And now I've made you safe because we have to remember our mind's job is not to keep us happy. It's to keep us alive at all costs. And whenever we say something like, oh, another baby would kill me, another rejection would just be the end. I'll jump under a train if that baby screams one more night. Now the mind is very clear that you're in danger, so it will do anything illogical stuff, unhelpful stuff to get you out of the danger that you have told it you're in by using the wrong words. Marissa, how long does it take for hypnosis to work? Uh, you mentioned that you've seen miraculous results in just one session. Um, and I'm curious, like on average, how long does it take for people to see uh, you know, real transformation. You also mentioned that you give them uh, a recording of the session to listen to for 21 days. Sure. So, I mean, I've seen miraculous results in 10 minutes sometimes. You know, if I, I've been in an airport with someone who can't get on a plane and they're terrified of flying. And I'll explain to you, you know, it's, it's the words you're using, the pictures, and we could change that right now. And I've, I've, my husband's constantly saying, oh, babe, I just met someone at the bar and, they, and they've got this phobia and he'll, he'll find all these little wounded, like little wounded birds that he turns up for me to fix. So um, you can do it in 10 minutes. But the people, the people I train, we say between one and three sessions. Between one to three sessions is enough to cure pretty much anything. When I work with anorexics and bulimics, I may take longer. But between one to three sessions is all you need to completely get rid of any fear, any phobia, any issue. You know, 
I had a girl in my class and she was light sensitive. And so she had a great difficulty turning up for the class because she would be burnt in normal daylight, not even the sun. And she had to cover up and she had a pretty sad life because she couldn't go anywhere. She goes, but, you know, I could be a therapist online from the computer. And so I wanted to look at why she had this because she didn't get it until she was 12. And that's always an interesting, what I call an ears prick up moment. Oh, you weren't born with this. No, I got it when I was 12. My doctor said, something happened to my body. Well, what? Well, he doesn't know. But when we had a look at her life, she told me this very sad story. Her mum was a single parent. She was terribly bullied at school. She said to my mum, can I stay home? She said, no, of course not. I have to go to a job I hate. You have to go to school. And then she said to her again, mum, I need to stay home because I'm being good. She said, you can't. You just got to suck it up. And I said, what did you wish? She said, well, I just wanted to stay home and never go out. I thought, isn't that amazing? That's what she said. I want to stay in the house and never go. It's very seductive as a kid to stay home, watch cartoons, eat cereal and milk. But she told her mind that's what she wanted. And lo and behold, she got this terrible light center, but she couldn't go out. But she still had it 35 years later because the mind doesn't ever go, oh, yeah, when you were 11, that was so great. But now I'll switch it off. It keeps it rather like people who have a baby and go, I'd die if I had another one. Five years later, they're ready. They love the first baby, but the mind's like, oh, no, no, no. You <laughs> said you would die if you had another one. It's always what I call unfinished business. You said when that guy left you, I'd die if it happens again. We hear all these songs, I can't live without you. You're the only person for me. Die if you leave me. Sometimes you just have to sing a better song. Hey, I'm a survivor. <laughs> I'm going to make it. But we never really, we don't understand the unfinished business going on in our minds until someone comes along and explains it. Look, this makes perfect sense when you're 11. That was so smart that you created that. And you're still smart. If you're smart enough to create it, you are so smart enough to let it go now. Marissa, what kind of person do you often work with? And I'm curious if the person that comes to you for healing, do they have to have some level of an open mind for the work to be effective? So for people that are maybe skeptical or overly analytical or just can't get out of their logical linear uh, mind, does this still work with people like that? Well, I work with a lot of very young children from the age of four onwards, and they are a dream to work with. <laughs> I work with a lot of people who, of course, believe it was. But then I have another group who go, I, I don't even believe in this. I think it's all crazy. But I'm in so much pain at this stage, I'll put pigeon droppings in my armpit if it would just make me better. <laughs> so many of my clients turn up, and I'm a last one. They've tried everything. They're in so much pain, physical pain, emotional pain. And they don't care. They just want to get better. And then I have cynics who say, you know, I don't even believe in hypnosis. But you know what? My friend came to you and you seem to have changed their life. So I'm here and I'll give it a go. And I find the most cynical ones are often the most astonished at how quickly they respond. I worked with somebody years ago who had terrible claustrophobia literally couldn't leave the house and was brought to me by a family member in such a terrible state because just getting from the car into my office was so traumatic. And this all went back to he got lost at a football game, lost in the crowd, and then he got lost in a swimming pool. And he had such a fear of wide open spaces. And not only did we fix that, he became quite a famous actor. And his mother said, but but that hypnotist played with your mind. He's like, mum, 
I was in the house for years. Now I'm on stage. And she's like, yeah, I know, but it's dangerous. And he's like, it was so funny that she still couldn't quite get it, that she'd see the trash. She goes, yeah, but she played with your mind. He went, no, she didn't play with my mind. She unraveled my mind like a ball of wool, straightened it all out and put me back together again. And that really is what, what it's all about, taking something that's all ravelled up and tangled up and matted together and doesn't make sense and unravelling it. But it's it's incredibly simple. We do it with compassion. We do it with humour. It's not deep, intense therapy every week going, hey, how do you feel today? And let's just talk about it. Because talking about it is lovely. You feel heard. But, you know, nobody says, hey, I've got, um, a hole in my tooth. I mean, Robert, should I go to the dentist and discuss it every week? I'm, I'm having heart palpitations. Shall I go and discuss that with a cardiologist? They turn up and go, hey, I'm in pain. Make me better. And my job for RTT is to get rid of people's pain really fast, leave them, a le- with, leave them with an incredible understanding of how they ever got it and ensure it doesn't come back. And it's not complicated. It's immensely simple when you understand you know, what makes people tick and how to make them tick better. Marissa, can you talk a little bit about uh, the three Ps, if you remember um, from uh, an ep- Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just think yeah, it's so important. Yeah. I've got the three Ps and the three A's. You know, I've always wanted to make clients' transformation simple. And so often they'll come and they go, oh, you know, my kid is driving me mad. They're, they're awake all night. Or my, I can't get my five-year-old out of my bed. Or my boss is not. I go, look, for something to get you, it has to be three Ps. It has to be permanent, has to be personal, and it has to be all pervasive going on. So, yeah, you have your six-year-old kid in your bed. They will not be in your bed when they're 17. I can promise you that. So that is not permanent. It's not personal. They're not going waking up because they don't like you. And it's not all pervasive. It doesn't go on when they're at a sleepover with their friend or visiting their grandmother. It doesn't go on. My boss is a nightmare. Well, that's not personal. Your boss is like that with everybody. It's not permanent because one day you won't be working for that boss. And it's not all pervasive. When you're at home having wild sex with your partner, eating a yummy dinner, involved in Netflix, it's not even going on then. So I love the PPP. Because if you can answer those three Ps, if it's not permanent, if it's not all pervasive, it's not personal, it it can't hurt you. And then I have something else I use called triple A, because I I notice what we do in the West, in the modern world, is push off. I'm feeling something. Let me eat that feeling. Let me Netflix it. Let me drink that feeling. Or let me go online and shop that feeling. And we try to push our feelings away without understanding our feelings are the most real thing we have. And you must, but you have no choice but to feel the feeling until it no longer requires to be felt. And when you start to eat your feelings or drink them or medicate, and they just regroup and become back stronger. So that's an easy line, isn't it? A sound bite, feel the feeling until it no longer requires it. But how do you do that? Well, it's what I call AAA. The first thing is be aware of what you're feeling. Most of us say, I'm feeling something where the cookies, we don't even tune into, oh, I'm aware that I'm really angry with my husband right now. I thought I could quite cheerfully walk out the door. So now I've got an awareness. The next day is I must accept that because even if we get to the first day, we go, well, I shouldn't feel like that. 
I've got nothing to feel angry about. That's the thing I've got nothing to be diabetic about. Your feelings are real. Be aware of them. Totally accept them, even if they're irrational. And then, and this is the hardest part, well, articulate them, say them out loud. Today, I'm feeling immense rage with my sister-in-law. Today, I'm feeling so annoyed with my boss. In this minute, I don't even like my husband. I don't even like my own kids. I'm feeling like I could quite cheerfully take them to the local store and come back without them. Because the minute you say it, the mind goes, well, that's good. You understood, didn't you? I remember many, many years ago, and this is how I learned this. I'd gone to my little girl's school play, and I told her father what time it was, and he didn't turn up. And I kind of realized halfway through he wasn't going to turn up, and I was so upset for her. And I was telling my friend, she went, well, he, well, he's a great guy, and he's amazing. I'm like, no. I'm allowed to tell you how upset I am that he let down our daughter. I'm allowed to tell you. And I realized what I was doing was saying, hey, I'm aware that I'm very annoyed with him. I'm accepting I'm annoyed and I'm sharing it. And you can't come and go, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't be annoyed. Or, you know, he's an artist and they're very temperate, but he's probably been up all night and he slept and he just forgot. So you're trying to make you push the feeling down. And it's very important to say, you know, I feel furious about my boss. I'm upset with my colleague. And there are times when you can't do that. You can't say to your mother-in-law right now, I find you the biggest bitch in the whole world. But you can go into the bathroom, lock the door, switch on the taps and say, right now, I think my mother-in-law is the biggest bitch in the world. Can you believe what she just said to me? Wow, she must be an unhappy person. But when you say it, what's so magical is it goes. It's like, okay. I'm fine now. I can go back now. But when you keep it in, it regroups and becomes stronger. You have these fantasy arguments in your head. And if you want to be sorted or evolved or at peace, practice triple A. Be aware of what you feel. Totally accept it. Don't logic it away because feelings aren't logic. They're emotion. And here's a rule. Emotion will defeat logic every single time. So aware, accept. And then say them out loud, even if you're doing that in the shower or in the bath or when you're driving your car, because then you'll feel so much better. Marissa, you've also used this work to radically transform your own life. Can you tell us about your journey, where you learned your philosophy from and how you got here? One of my philosophies is not to let in criticism. And, and I learned that, you know, I had an interesting childhood. My father was also my principal or my head teacher. And that was certainly challenging for a little girl of 11, where these eight-year-old kids are going, your dad's a, and they'd say some word. And I felt so different. My whole school from 11 to 16, I couldn't have felt more different because my father was the head teacher. And I would never put that on a child because the worst thing to feel in your life is to feel different. But now, of course, I'm like, wow, I'm actually glad that happened because it gave me such an insight into this, the thing wrong with you. I feel different. And if I'm different, I can't connect. You know, our DNA requires us to connect when we're born. We have two driving needs, find connection and avoid rejection because that's how I know I'm going to make it. But when my dad was my head teacher, I couldn't find connection. I found plenty of rejection. Kids that didn't like him would take it out on me. But I learned a fascinating insight into human behavior. And then I began to see. And, and so that's the first thing I learned from my childhood. 
how easy it is to be rejected and how easy it is to be disconnected. And I see an epidemic of clients with depression and they don't have a chemical flaw in their brain. They have disconnection. They, we, we live in a world and we're connected on Facebook, but not in real time. And then I had an interesting time when I was, I think, about 27. And I'm always with this doctor telling me that I would never have children. It wasn't possible I'd ever get pregnant. And even if I did, I would never carry them. And I heard this was her going, do not let that in. And I realized then, don't let that in. And I'm saying to me, no, I'm, I'm not even going to continue this session because I, I, I'm not letting that in. And I just went away and thought, no. And as it happened, I got pregnant. And then I had another voice saying, another doctor saying to me, well, there's something wrong with this baby and you're never going to take this to full term. And if you do, it's going to be very underweight. I didn't let that in. And I gave birth to a perfect, healthy baby. But what were they talking about? Which is not to diminish doctors. They're good people. And then I remember the most stunning of all is that I found I had cancer and I was in such shock. I thought, I can't have cancer. I'm so healthy. And I remember sitting in the doctor's office completely gobsmacked. And I said, will it come back? And they actually did this. He went, it has your address. It knows where you live. I think it's probably going to come back. And I thought, wow, I'm not letting that in. And I realized with all those things, you must never give the power for your life to someone else who says, well, you'll never find love. You can't do that. Who's going to listen to you? Oh, no one in our family has ever written a book. You can't write a book. And I found it so beneficial for me to not let in other people's words. But then, of course, you have to put in your own words. And one of the things all our therapists do so beautifully is something called the missing bit of you. In therapy, we ask them, hey, you know, if you could have had parents that were, that had been to some kind of parent who goes were great parents, if you could have a teacher that liked you, if you had a boyfriend or a friend or a father who was good, what would they say? And I had in my office this poor kid of 17 who was so angry, I mean, just about to go into a whole world of self-destruct and jail because he was so angry. And when I talked to him, I said, you know, you're a hurt kid. I know you think you're an angry kid, but you're really a very, very hurt kid. And I want to talk about what's hurt you because I know from all my therapy that angry people are hurt people. There's always a hurt behind anger. And he went, well, my parents had me when they were 17 and they gave me away to my dad's parents who are really old and they never saw me. My dad's got another kid that he treats like the Messiah he has Game Boys and phones, and he doesn't even pay charge, but my grandparents are really old, and no one loves me. And, you know, got big tears in his eyes. He was a tough kid. He said, no one loves me. I said, well, that's not quite true, but I understand what he said. I said, first of all, your aunt who paid for you to see me, because she said, well, she loves you. And I can't say I love you, but I really care about you. So I all I could do with this kid is say, look, if you had a, your dad's an idiot. I mean, I can only, your dad is more childish than you are. Your dad is a baby. He's never grown up, but you're a smart kid. If you had a great dad, what would he say? And he began to say, these were, I'm proud of you. Wow, I'm so lucky to have you. What an amazing kid. What an honor it is to be your parent. And I said, you know, baby, that's all I can do for you is to get the words into you that someone should have said, but didn't say, but that doesn't mean you can't hear them. So we've carried on this session. And he was able to say all these things. Then he went, well, I feel so much better. And I said, well, you've got to say them over and over again. And he went from a kid that was almost about to go to jail to someone who's now a, quite a well-known chef. He's got a great fiance and he's really happy because 
he understood the missing part of him was these words he'd never heard. And when we never hear the words, we go out into the world and go, who's going to say them? Well, you have to say them. You have to say, I'm the favorite kid when you're not. I'm so lovable when you don't feel it. I'm so smart. And like many of my clients, he taught me how important the missing part of you is, the praise you've always wanted. And then we created a little audio called Installing the Cheerleader, which I used to give to children who were scared of their exams. They'd have a cheerleader waving pom-poms, banging the cymbals, going, yay, you can do this. You're amazing. Because, you know, we respond to the words in our head. And it is actually not difficult at all to change those words. I love the fact that some of the simplest things we can do have the most profound results. And everyone listening, I would advise you think of what you've always wanted to hear. You're the hottest thing in the world. Oh my God, there's no one I could love like you. You're amazing. You're irreplaceable. Think of all the words in a song. Don't go changing because I love you just the way you are. And start to say those words to yourself. It doesn't matter what they are. Just say them because your mind doesn't know and it certainly doesn't care who's saying those words. And if they're true, it lets them in. It's a bit like, you know, if you had dry skin on your arms, you'd put in lotion, that lotion would soothe your dry skin. Well, words will nourish and soothe the soul that really needs it. So I find that incredible, getting people to give themselves the praise. I was talking to somebody once, a client who was so depressed. I mean, he was also on the verge of taking his own life. He was in such a terrible state. And when he told me his story, he was saying, you know, when I was 17, my dad stopped speaking to me. He didn't speak to me for years. I had to actually tra track him down. And by then I was very successful. And I bought my dad a house. I bought him a car. He's, this guy is now a director. And one day I said to him, dad, are you proud? We went for what? Poncing around making movies. That's not work. And then his dad died and he paid for all his hospital. And on his death, he said, Dad, are you proud of me? He went, why should I be? And I said, well, your dad's just a big withholder. If he was here, he wouldn't tell you anything. But hey, it's never too late for you to say I'm a good son. When I said to him, say that, you'd think I said to him, could you stick a needle in your scrotum? Because he was so resistant. <laughs> I'm, I'm an okay person. I said, no. You have to say, I am a good son. And when he finally broke through and said it, it was like, wow, his tears came out, his shoulders convulsed. But as he continued to say, he said, wow, I feel amazing because I am a good son. I don't need that withholding person who was just a victim of his dad to tell me the truth about me. I'm a good son. And then I said, okay, now let's say I'm a gifted person. I'm talented. What I noticed about him when he came in the room and sat down, I went, oh, I must tell you, I love your films. In fact, my father and I went and he stopped me and he went, that was a terrible film, didn't you? I said, God, an Oscar. He said, I know there were no good films that year. I'm like, oh, OK. But then you're next to me. He said, that was even worse. Did you not notice the leading lady? I'm like, oh, you can't accept praise because <laughs> your father's criticized you your whole life. And so what's so familiar to you is to be criticized and what's so unfamiliar is praise. And I'm going to make praise familiar to you. By the end of that session, I said, I love your movie. I, went, I know, isn't it amazing? You got an Oscar. Oh, my God, it gave people so much pleasure. And he had a 360-degree turn back because I kept making him 
let in praise and not add in criticism because that's the familiar. I'm used to praise, so I praise myself. I'm used to criticism, so I'll criticize myself. And actually the fastest way, Barnan, to grow yourself is to praise yourself. I'm a good person. I'm so warm and friendly. I'm lovable. I'm just lovely. You might think, well, I don't believe it. Who cares? Say it every day. And because of the repetition, you will soon enough. Wow, Marissa, thank you so much for sharing these stories. I mean, I even got emotional as you were telling them because I think there's so many people who, uh, you know, need to parent themselves again um, and just give themselves what they so desperately wanted to hear, not just from their parents, but from their friends, from culture, from society. And so that's a really powerful gift. Um, Marissa, what are some things that have surprised you in this journey? What surprised me in this journey is how some people, I mean, somebody wrote to me once and said, you know, I must tell you that the words therapy and rapid should never go in the same sentence. Therapy is long. It's a world of pain that you try to crawl out of every day. And I don't know what kind of carnage you produce doing that stupid RTT. So I said, actually, I don't produce carnage, but you might just like to see this letter I got only yesterday from someone who wanted to kill themselves. I'd never met them. But they um, read one other, turned up at one of my events, and are now fine. She went, well, that's one person. I'm like, oh, you're a therapist. Surely you know that even if you just save one person's life, that's enough. So I'm always a little astonished at some people who are resistant or who say things like, well, we can't change. But for every resistant person, I have at least 10 more, 10 to 1, that are so um, enthusiastic. I'm I love the fact that RTT is in schools or in discussion to put it in the prison system, which is really good. So the fact that some people deny it and resist it, I mean, that's okay. I sort of expect that. But we have much, much, much more positive feedback than negative. And I, I kind of understand that some people diminish what they don't understand. But I am sometimes surprised when therapists who should know better say, this is all rubbish, because it's based on 33 years of deep study of human behavior. In fact, I was giving a talk in Portugal about three years ago. And when I got off the stage, this guy said, but who are you? Who are you to come up with this? And well, someone's got to do it. You know, someone has to shortcut therapy and look at all these broken people and make them better, better. And they went, yeah, I guess I said, anyway, I've had 33 years of this. And I think, I feel I've earned my voice. And, you know, initially when I first came out with all my methods, I've had people saying, oh, no, that's silly. Your words don't affect you. It's like your words are the only thing that affects you. In fact, I spoke to somebody once who said, I, I just don't believe that the way you think affects the way you feel. I'm like, well, have you had an erection? Yes. I said, then you know that the way you think affects the way you feel. And you certainly respond to the pictures in your head. And I feel sorry for your wife if you don't think that, because that's what an erection is. That's what digestion is. That's what fear is, you know. If I was lying in bed at two o'clock in the afternoon, dozing, and someone knocked on my door, I'd feel, oh, who's that? But if it was two in the morning, I'd go, oh, my God, something terrible has happened because my imagination is making a different picture at night than in the day, and I'm responding to the pictures. If I was walking along my street at two in the afternoon, somebody was walking behind me, wouldn't give it a second thought. But at two in the morning, 
my imagination is going to go into overdrive because we respond to the pictures and the words. There's nothing else. And if you want to have an amazing life, you've got to change those pictures and change those words and understand that our thoughts create our feelings, our feelings create our actions, our actions create our events. And if you change your thinking, it changes your entire life. You know, we make our beliefs. Then our beliefs turn right around and make us. And all you have to do to have a better life, in fact, an incredible life, is to form different beliefs. No one likes me. People love me. I can't leave food. I find it's the most easy thing to leave food. I'm scared of confrontation. I love talking to people. I'm not smart enough to make it. I'm gifted and talented. You know, we all lie to ourselves every day. I can't do that. Who's going to want me? Who's going to take on me with two kids and cellulite? I didn't go to university. Therefore, I'm not destined for success. If you want to lie to yourself, which we all do, I'm the size of a house. I'm exhausted. I haven't slept for a week. Uh, my legs are the size of tree trunks. These are absolute lies. At least tell yourself a better lie. I'm amazing. I've got a fantastic metabolic rate. I burn off everything I eat. I look amazing. I communicate so amazingly with my family. And I've got a beautiful relationship. It may not be true, but neither is the other stuff you're telling it. And at least if you tell it good stuff that's a lie, it's more likely to become true than the bad stuff, which is also very likely to come true. So simple. You know, you could go, I'm chronically tired. I'm exhausted. Okay. Well, you know what? I'm a little dehydrated and I do need to have eight hours sleep tomorrow. I'll be great. I look so old. No, I just look dehydrated and tired. Tell yourself a better life is the title of my new book, actually. <laughs> and it changes your life. Wow. Marissa, how has your work changed with COVID and quarantine this year? Well, one of the things I did with COVID and quarantine is one of my friends, we had a little child, said, Mommy, I'm scared of the granola virus. Does it live in the pantry? <laughs> and I realized how children are very disempowered and that, you know, don't kiss, we can't see grandma because of the virus. We, and we forget that children live in a world of imagination where they're now, oh, if I sneeze, I'm going to make granddad say, I've got to wash my hands. There's a terrible bug out there that could kill people. And so I created a game for children, a game, a story, a game that pay their imagination. And I created something called Magical Minds to help children believe that, look, all this stuff about this, where's the vaccine? You don't need a vaccine. You need a fantastic immune system. The immune system responds very badly to stress and anxiety and worry and very well to being confident and focused and happy and positive. And, you know, COVID is such a lesson to all of us that it's not the COVID as bad as it is. It's what we feel about it. This is going to kill me. It's a government conspiracy. Well, you know, I've had six months at home. I'm really actually liking it. And I'm realizing that I could live a different life. And so, so what COVID has done for me is kind of allowed me to sit at home and write this program for children. We're now doing one for children with asthma, children with cancer, children with allergies. It's allowed me to film a lot more YouTube material that I put out every week just to help people feel better. And it's allowed me actually to stop traveling, which I did so much and think, wow, you know, I'm really enjoying just being, I miss people hugely. And, 
you know, I've had issues too. I, I got back to London. I couldn't get back to America. I'm far apart from my sister and my daughter. But, you know, life is what you make it. And events do not affect you. The What you feel about an event affects you. And you're free to change that at any time at all. An event won't affect you, but the meaning you give to it will. And if you say about COVID, you know, I'm in isolation, I'm in lockdown. This is like, I, I feel like a prisoner. You're going to have a different, someone says, you know, I'm safe at home. I'm at home. And when you can't control what's going on in the world, which none of us can do now, or in fact, ever, you can always control what's going on. And you're the same, you're the same person, the same mother, father, sister, wife, husband, daughter, friend, and certainty is a need. It's a powerful human need. And we have events like 9-11, the AIDS epidemic, and now COVID that take all our certainty away. And then we feel terrible. In an uncertain world, you must be the certainty. I know that everything's going to be fine. I've got people I love and they love me. I mean, I understand if you've lost your job, if you're cooped up in an apartment with no garden and three kids, it must be tough. But you have to make the meaning better. There's still someone in the world that would go, wow, your problem, that's my fancy. I can't get pregnant. I'd love to be cooped up in a house with three kids. I would pay money for that. So if you can stop and think, what would I have given 10 years ago for this problem? And is there someone in the world who says, wow, your problem, that's my fantasy dream come true. You and your partner are going crazy because you're together. I'd love a partner to go crazy with because we're together all the time. And so just being able to do that puts a different meaning on it and you can't change the event. You can change the meaning and that is life-changing just right there all on its own. Wow. Thank you, Marissa, so much. Um, do you have any last words uh, to tell our listeners about their health and wellness? What's uh, maybe the main takeaway? Well, you know, you have to, again, you've got to take control. If you say, I want to be healthy, but I love my McDonald's, I want to be healthy, but I need my Krispy Kreme donuts. When you prefix something with my, you own it. Um, but if you want help at marissapeer.com, we have free audios. We have audios on love blocks, health blocks, wealth blocks, success blocks. We have wealth wiring and love wiring. They're totally free. We don't ask for your credit card. We love giving this stuff away. So go to marissapeer.com and take whatever audios you want. Go to marissapeer.com and look at the children's magical minds. They're all absolutely free. We would never charge for helping children. If you want to find someone who is a trained RTT, those are indeed want to know how you could do what I do because it is the best job in the world, bar none. You work your own hours, you charge your own fees, and you change people's lives. Go to rtt.com and you can find out how to do what I do. It's a very easy training or find someone who's done it in your area. And if you want some I'm enough material, go to I'm enough.com. But you can feel amazing and we know how to make that happen for you. And a lot of this is completely free. Marissa, thank you so much for your time. You are just a lovely human. And uh, I'm just so in awe of the way that you're transforming so many people's lives. Um, I've done the work, you know, for the audience. I've actually uh, listened to a lot of the hypnosis. I've, I've read the books. I've checked out the videos. And it's dramatically shifted my life. Um, so please, please check it out. Uh, this work is really powerful. 
And for our audience, thanks for joining and for listening. In this episode, we learned about how to remove obstacles and reprogram your mind for confidence and success and more. You can tune in to Gateways to Awakening, where we host one-on-one conversations with leading experts in wellness and spirituality. 